You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey, everyone. This is Michael Jamin. I'm back with Phil Hudson. Welcome back, Phil. What up? What up? We're doing another Q&A. Uh, once a month, we do these live webinars, and we get a ton of questions that we can't possibly get through all of them. So this is a special podcast episode where we're going to answer some of those questions we didn't get to. And obviously, if anybody has any questions, continue uh, sending us. Uh, send them. You can send them to support at michaeljammon.com, or you could just... Where else can they leave these questions, Phil? You can just join the webinar. I mean, the, the webinar is probably the best place to get your oh. questions answered right away. Oh, for and sure. You can set up at michaeljammon.com slash webinar. Everyone should be on that. Everyone should be on that. Everyone should be on my uh, free weekly newsletter, michaeljammon.com slash watch list. Uh, yeah, lots of good stuff. So let's begin, Phil. Yeah, it's good to have to you get back. Through. Good to be here. Um, you've got some awesome interviews in the queue, by the way. Like some of these people in here, pretty exciting. So, oh, yeah, uh, we got some good uh, episodes. Yeah, uh, stick around. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, all that good stuff. Uh, but let's get into the questions. Uh, so this is from, just to be clear, this is from your April webinar, which was how to write a great story. Okay. Okay. John Rios, Michael, I tend to doubt myself when thinking of a new idea for a TV show. What makes a good idea for a story? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the question. I mean, that's honestly, there's no easy answer for that. <clears throat> that I literally teach in our screenwriting course. And if you want to learn that, it's michaeljammon.com slash course. What you need to know is, is there enough meat on the bone? You have an idea and you go, well, is, is there enough meat on that bone to turn it into a half hour of television or 60 minutes or a 90 minute movie? And and that's what we talk about. We talk about knowing because everything's conflict. Everything's emotional conflict between two characters. And so, yeah, that's that's I wish there's an easy way to talk about that. But that is that's the the bulk of the uh, the course. <laughs> it's a long lesson. It's not a tip, unfortunately, but it's it's identifying is there enough emotional weight to your idea? Yeah, in the webinar we just finished uh, about an hour ago, one of the things you brought up is that you don't need a great idea; you need a good idea. You just need yeah. to be able to tell it really well, right? Right. And that's the other piece of what the course covers. So yeah, and the course is not open for enrollment at any time by the way. Yeah. You, it's typically opens roughly the first weekend of the month, but not necessarily. So if you want to know more about that, you can go sign up for Michael's free lesson and you can be notified when the course sale is, the course is enrolled or enrollment yeah. is open for the course. It's only open like three days out of the month or something like that. And, and, you know, we onboard everybody, then you got to wait for next month. That's right. All right. More questions. Photojournalist SF. How are you able to rise above all the details and find the story? Everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to know the course. Um, yeah, same question. Basically, it's it, yeah, same question. It's, it's identifying the emotional conflict between two characters, and once you can figure out how to do that, you can send your because a story is basically a journey. You're taking your characters on a journey, and the journey, like like all journeys, have to be worth going on. Like no one wants to take a journey to the garbage dump. When you get there, you're going to be disappointed. Is there, what, is there enough to look at along the way? And when you get there, does it feel like you've arrived someplace? Because your characters, I say this a lot. It's like your character doesn't have to learn a lesson at the end of your story or your movie or script, whatever. Your character just has to be slightly different than they were at the beginning of your story. Or else why did you take them on this trip if they're not changed in some small way? Not necessarily for the better. They could be changed for the worse, but they have to be different. Or else why did we go on this trip? You know, yeah. no, a journey, if you take a road trip, a road trip, 
if you live uh, you know, in Los Angeles, you can't take a road trip to Los Angeles. That's not a road trip. You can't wind up in the same place you're at. You have to take a road trip to Phoenix or someplace. Right. Interesting. Awesome. I get hung up on plot versus the story. Like the obstacle could be physical or emotional. And sometimes this is the difference between plot and story, right? Well, the, the a plot is kind of what happens. You know, a plot is what your story is about. This story is about a guy who, uh, who, who goes boxing, who, you know, a boxer who goes, gets in the ring and tries to win the fight. That's the plot. But the story is the emotional journey that that boxer goes on. It's, it's, you know, how was that? Why are they different at the end? What, what, what were they fighting for? And they weren't fighting to win the fight. Who cares? What are they fighting for in real life? Is it self-respect? Is it uh, redemption? It's something deeper. So the plot is what it's about. And the story, I'm sorry, the, uh, yeah, the story is what it's really about, mm. what it's deep down about. And again, this is what I talk about in the course, and you should go to michaeljammon.com slash course and check that out. I think that a lot of people attack films and they say, well, there's so many plot holes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's actually the problem with those films. It's the story sucked. And that's why yeah. you pay attention to the plot. I think you can, yes. And I think, yeah, to some degree, I agree with you. Like, and I think sometimes, you know, like a, a plot hole can be forgiven a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if the, if the story is worthwhile, you can uh, you can say, well, why didn't they just pick up the phone? Like, well, I forgot you know, why. I don't know. Uh Obviously, it's better if you don't have plot holes, but I think they can be forgiven if the stories were is worth taking. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. One of the oh. best screen names ever. Yeah. Do you find that the majority of writers you meet break stories with that much planning? And this is in reference to you discussing in the in the webinar <laughs> all the steps involved. You know the yeah. uh, the breaking the story, the one sheet, the outline, like all that stuff. Yeah. The answer is absolutely. I'm talking about every single writer I've ever worked with. So it's not the majority, it's all of them. If you want to be a professional screenwriter, you better know how to break a story because you don't just start typing. Uh, there are some, like I've read, like Greta Gerwig, you know, she's like, well, I just start typing. Well, okay, if you're Greta Gerwig, fine. But that process is very inefficient. And, and she admits it herself. She like, she'll just start typing until she finds the story. And then she goes back and undoes everything that wasn't the story. And that's her process, that's fine. She's got her own time schedule, her own time frame, and she's obviously very talented. I, I, I don't think it's good advice. It works for her, but I don't think it's good advice for a new writer. I don't, that's not how most writers, if you wanna be professional, you. You don't get to do that. You have, you're going to get notes every step of the way. You want to get people on board. You don't just go off and start writing. It's That's just not how it's done. Yeah, and you have very strict timelines in a TV writer's room especially where you yeah. can't get away with that. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> Claudia Corletto. Oh, excuse me. Let me back up. So this person didn't have a name. Uh, how do you explain free writing? Is it the same as writing organically? I, I've never used the word free writing. I don't think I have, so I don't know what free writing is. Uh, I think it's just people sitting oh. down and doing what Greta Gerwig oh, did. Like free brain, writing organic. Yeah. Like, that's fine if you want to write for your... Look, all, any kind of writing is good, especially if you, you want to put it in your diary or your journal. Yeah, great. Knock yourself out. Uh, the more you do, the better. Uh, but when you, when you hope to sell it, if you're trying to sell something, uh, you really have to hit these certain points, plot points and you know, moments in, in a story that 
that that's called that we call that story structure. So you don't just get to write. You don't get to just you know free brain. Um, but like I said, it works for Greta Gerwig. She's a great writer, but uh, uh, you know I don't I, I don't think it's great advice. So I'm not sure you know if someone says, hey, my process is I I sit on top of a 80 foot telephone pole and I start writing and that works for them. Great. I, I wouldn't recommend it for most people, though. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think stream of consciousness writing is what I was thinking about. Yeah, so stream of consciousness. Stream of, isn't that the most boring thing ever? The stream of consciousness. I think that's that's like telling someone. Let me tell you about my dream I had last night. It doesn't make mm. sense, but isn't it interesting? No, only for you. No, I don't like hearing about anybody's dreams. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's, nothing can be more boring. There's no reality to it. It doesn't make sense. And so stream of consciousness, sounds. it just sounds terrible to me. It just sounds yeah. like a, an excuse to write lazily. It also feels like therapy. And, and Thera we advocate yeah. for a lot of like working on yourself and personal development on this podcast, but that just feels like laborious therapy. Yeah, do it for yourself. It's self-indulgent though. Like we don't want to hear it. Do it for yourself because it helps you, but we don't want to hear it. Yeah. The second half of this question is, is that the same as writing organically? And I think that's something you talk about specifically. Do you want to define that for people? Well, you know, Organically, like every, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. What, or what are you getting at? Do you think I'm? What do you, What do you want me to talk about? Well, so? you talk about writing organically, where it's like writing things that are true to you, writing oh. things that you know, not necessarily like you're a plumber, be a plumber, but like what are the life yes. situations you've been in? What is that fight you had with your wife? What is yeah. it? What is the pain you're feeling when you don't achieve your goals? And there's specificity in that organic life that that speaks to people. I think it's more right. along those lines. If you feel insecure if you are a generally insecure people person then write about insecurity your character can have insecurity just because they're an astronaut they may be an astronaut and you've never been an astronaut that's okay as long as the characters share those traits you can give your astronaut make them an insecure person that that's so you're writing from something that's from within another way to talk about organic writing this gets back to that Greta Gerwig conversation you know when I'm writing my collection of personal essays and I know Philip talked to you about it a lot, which is I'll, I'll just take a memory and I'll start writing on my own and start, until I discover the story. And often I won't discover the story until like the 20th draft. And then when I find the story, I go back and I toss out all the stuff that's not. And that's organic writing. To me, that's writing very organically. I can do that, though, because I know how to write and I know in my mind uh, I've been doing it so long. It's just... It's, I wouldn't recommend it, for again, for a new writer uh, as a way of – I wouldn't necessarily re recommend that. because yeah, you're, really you're innately and unconsciously putting in specific moments and beats that have to be there to tell a story. Yeah. You're just you're, – you have the time because it's also a personal passion project to do that process. Yeah. Whereas if you're sitting in a writer's room or you're on assignment for a script, you got two weeks to turn in a draft. You don't have time to do that. Yeah, right. And everything's broken. Everything's agreed upon in the room. The story's broken. So all the writers know what the story is. And then a writer will go off after it's been beaten on the right on the whiteboard. Then they go off and write. So. And I imagine coming back with something different than that is a problem. Oh, you'll get fired. Yeah. <laughs> if you go off the reservation and come back with something that everyone didn't talk about, you're, you'll, you'll get fired. Yep. Claudia Corletto, what do you do with your side story distractions as you're writing your main story? Oh, side story distractions like other projects. I wonder if she means. I think what she's referring to is B plot, C plot, oh, B plot. runners. Oh, like 
Yeah, all that has to be broken as well. So there are no distractions. Uh, everything, you know, if you have a main story, then you have subplots going on with other characters. This is particularly important in film and television. Uh, you have these supporting characters on a TV show. Let's say you have five characters in your A story, your main story is between two characters. Well, you're paying these other three actors. They've got to do something that week. So you give them a B story or a C story. And again, I teach all about, I teach this in the course. Uh, this is what people should be signing up for. But you got to have the, those characters do something. And so you give them a slighter story that might be one that has met less emotional weight because you're paying these actors and the people at home want to see the actors do something. So, yep. but, the, but again, the B story doesn't have the same, doesn't need to carry the same emotional weight as an A story. And very often the B story is informing the A story from a different perspective. So the audience is learning lessons on both sides. In a movie for sure. Yeah. Maybe less so in a TV show, but in a movie, yeah, you'll examine, uh, well, I got to think of what movie did I see where it was just about, it was exactly speaks to that point. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. Okay. Andrew Spitzer, is the outline the same as a treatment or is that something else? And maybe it'd be worthwhile for you to give people kind of the steps of uh, yeah. a writer, like the process that we alluded to earlier. So when you're on, on staff of a TV show, you'll break the story in the room with the showrunner. They'll spend a lot of time figuring out the beats. Could be the whole staff. You might spend a week breaking a story. So you know what the first act break is, the second act break is, you know all how the scenes go basically. And then that writer will go off and often they, the way we do it, they'll write, a, we call it a book report or a one pager. So then they, the writer will go off and then they write, they write what they, what the story is in its, in a nutshell and what the emotional story is and what the plot is only for in about a page worth, just to hand it back to the showrunner. If I'm running the show, I want to read it so that they're clear. I want to get it in writing so that they're clear on what the story is. Cause even they may still screw that up. It's not uncommon. Then you get notes on that one pager. Often that's what we pitch to the network. Say, hey, this is what the story is. Are you cool with it? Sometimes they say no, and then you got to throw it out. Then that writer will go off and write an outline. Is an outline the same thing as a treatment? Yeah, pretty much. Depends who you ask. But in my opinion, it is. But uh, you know, treatment is really. I guess treatment is really more used for a film. I don't know. Uh, you know. But yeah, an outline will break. An outline for like a half-hour TV show might be, might be like 12 pages. And then the script for that same TV show might be 27 pages. So you're constantly adding more and more detail and getting notes back from the showrunner uh, to make sure you're not veering off course, to make sure everyone's on the same page. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's how that is done. It's a, it's, it's, it's a long process. And again, that process is what I teach in the course. Awesome. Dennis Molina. How do you condense pipe into something useful in the script that moves the scene along? And maybe define pipe for the, those people who don't know. Yeah, pipe is an industry term we, term that we use to describe exposition. So here, like, you don't want your dialogue to be pipey. So here's some pipey dialogue that you've heard a million times. Uh, Kathy, you're my, you've been my Kathy. You're my sister. Why would you say such a thing? Right? Why is he telling Kathy that she's his sister? She knows that. Uh, I actually saw, oh my God, I saw a line of terrible pipe in a movie I watched yesterday. It was so, it was so terrible. I was like, who would say that? So when you're writing, it really helps that, to have your dialogue uh, not be pipey because it, it stands out like a sore thumb and, and a way to do that. Uh, and I teach this in the course, I go into more detail again, is by having a third person in the scene who's new to all this. Who's that person over there? Oh, that's Kathy. She's my sister. 
So now it doesn't feel like pipe. Now you're just explaining it to a, to a new character. So that's yeah. one way to make a scene feel less pipey. Yeah. How, how could you possibly talk to that person like that? That's my sister. Oh. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So that doesn't feel pipey. That feels like dialogue. Yeah, great. Uh, Julia Denton, have you ever gotten deep into writing a story and then had a brilliant idea that you think would have been much better and then decided to go back and change significant parts of your outline? Um, no, because everything's, everything is, uh, agreed upon in the writer's room. So that would be, you know, if I have an idea, it better not be, if it can't be too far different, but if it is a little different, I might say to the showrunner, and as a matter of fact, you know, this happens all the time. You'll say, Hey, this scene that we talked about, I think it's a little better if we do it this way. And I know it's not what we agreed on, but what do you think? And then they say yes or no, but you would never just take it upon yourself to make something a giant change. So, uh, but if you're doing a project on your own, yeah, do whatever you want. I mean, you're, you're the boss. Yeah. I think defining what a professional writer is, is one of those really important things that you've brought to the writer's ecosystem online. Yeah. I think a lot of us just envision it as this romantic, I sit at my keyboard and I write and then I struggle and I toil over these words and then I receive praise and a big fat check to do that. Yeah. And really what it is, is sitting down in a room with a bunch of other people in a collaborative process mm -hmm. to execute the showrunner's vision or the studio's vision or the director's vision. It's not your yeah. vision. No, you're getting notes and you're getting paid for it. That's okay. But if you have your own side projects, do what you want. But even still, you still have to know how to write. You still need to know story structures. Because you, at the end of the day, you, you have to entertain your audience and your audience has expectations. And you just typing to pat yourself on the back may not be entertaining for them. Yeah. My wife's making me watch The X-Files. I've never watched it before. And yeah. anytime I see Frank Spotson show up as a writer, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good episode. Uh-huh. And that, or, you know, some of the other mega showrunners who came out of that Chris Carter X-Files world. Yeah. Um, and all of those people have shows that I love. And they- Vince Gilligan, yeah. They, yep, they grew out of that writer's room doing exactly the process we're talking about to then have the clout and ability as the showrunner to make those decisions. But it started with cutting their teeth, doing exactly what someone else wanted. Yeah, a lot of people on Sopranos yep. graduated out of that to have their own shows. So yeah, that's how it goes. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watchlist. Well, that's, that wraps up the questions around story, but there are other sections that I have here. So one is yeah. a, the next session is breaking in. Uh, just another YouTube fan. How do you get the writer's assistant position? Yes. So writer's assistant is not an entry-level position. And I, I'm not – even though I'm a showrunner, I run, run shows. I'm not qualified to be a writer's assistant because you have to know certain things that I just don't know, which is uh, uh, how to, the script distribu distribution protocols – there are certain uh, shortcuts in, in, uh, in Final Draft that I just don't know. Uh, most We usually use Final Draft. And so to get that job, often you start off as a production assistant, and then you cozy up to the current writer's assistant and ask them, hey, teach me how to do your job in case you need to take a day off and work for whatever reason, and I need to fill in. And so I know that's what, you, that's an, I know that's how, that's what you've been doing lately. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's how uh, Hannah, who was our writer's assistant this season, Mike Rep got bumped to be a staff writer, and Hannah got bumped into be that position. And the stat, he even though he is the staff writer, he still held her hand and kind of walked her through how to do the job because she had a little less experience than needed, but she'd earned that right by proving herself to the showrunners. And Kevin Heffernan talked about her on your episode of the podcast as yeah. someone who just volunteered their time and got in and did the work. So, and for yeah. me, yeah, I've had that happen where you know the writer's the the writer's assistant's wife has an issue and he has to leave and then I get called into the room. Yeah. Right. Or someone's out and I have to step in. So very common that that happens. Right. So you'll be sure. if we ever get back to work, if the strike is over, I'm sure that'll be you know, that'll be your next step if if it's not writing full time on whatever else you're doing. You sure. Know? Yeah. Ever Winston, I'm a college senior and I graduate in December. My dream job is to make it into a writer's room. What can I do between now and December to help me get there? Write. Write, 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 write. Don't stop writing. Just keep writing. I don't care what you're writing. Just any short stories, plays, whatever. Uh, that's what you... Because you're you know, you're know not going to fool anybody into into get, hiring you as a, as, a, as, a good, as a writer. You need to be at that level. So you should be studying. If you don't want to study from me, study from s someone else. Just make sure they know what they're talking about. You should be studying, though, the craft, uh, writing. And then, of course, if you can move to L.A., the closer you can get to the job that you want physically, the better. So that's my recommendation. Solid. And hasn't changed in two years. We're, yeah, we're approaching two years of doing the podcast. That that's crazy? amazing. Yeah. Derek Ziegler, for those of us producing our own web series as our calling card, do you have any advice for getting the right people to see our show? Or is it mm -hmm. just best to post it on YouTube and hope for the best? Yeah, the, the, the right people are anybody. So if you make your web series and you start getting a million views per episode, the right people will find you because they're looking for it. They are looking for you. Even if your show is terrible and you start getting a million views per episode, they'll find you because you got something. You're doing something right because you're because you know the, you know the the world must be is paying attention to you. So even if you even if we think your show is terrible, well the world doesn't think it's terrible. So you know let's go. For, they must know something. So yeah. Uh, that's what I would do. Start, start posting it and see, get some feedback and see what's working, what's not working. Yeah. But a webinar, but that's a perfectly good way. And the last webinar that you did, uh, well, I guess not the last by the time this drops, but your May webinar was on this topic, right? Is how to get people to attend your, you know, wa attend your live event or watch your your stuff. Yeah. Something along those lines. But that's available too. If you're interested for like a small fee, you can go buy that replay on michaeljammon.com slash shop. Yeah, I should make that, I, I should clarify. So we do a free monthly webinar, you and I, and it's free for anybody who attends. And then if you miss it, we send you a free replay. It's good for 24 hours. And then if you still miss that, then you can purchase it on my website for a small fee. But, you know, it's for, you get two, two whacks at it for free. So, Yep. Sabrina G, how do you know when you're ready to show your script to someone? Michael said he learned a lot about writing on his first job. So how good does... Does a sample really need to be for a first-time writer? Easy. So you give it to your your mom or your friend, or give it to someone a trusted loved one. Rip off the title page and give it to them and say, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And then they're going to say, "What do I know? I'm not in the business." And then you're going to say, "Write down the script I'm writing for you." You're going to say, "No, no. I just want to know when you get to the end of every page, do you want to turn the page and find out what happens next, or do you not care? Does it feel?" And at the end of page twenty. Does it feel like I've given you a gift or a homework assignment? And that's how you know. 
And 99% of the time, you know, when they read it, give them a week or so to read it, and they come back to you and you say, what do you think? And they're going to say, oh, it's okay. Or they're going to say, well, I like this part because they're going to they're going to want to be nice. Well, I thought this character was good, right? No, no. Do you want to turn the page? And if the answer is anything less than glowing, you don't have anything to show. You have to look, keep working on your craft until people beg you to read your next piece because they liked it so much. Yeah. yeah, I got that feedback from a writer um, on that script we did, but I'm also not anticipating that to be the feedback I get on my next piece when I show it to people. Yeah. Because I know that piece is going to need work after I get feedback from people to make it to the point where they say, holy shit, that was good. Which yeah. Is what, I, what the writer told me, which is, like, oh, cool. More validation for that one. Still got to do it seven more times. Yeah. So it's, it's how it's, that's the business. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Greenwood, what different roles make someone good in a room? Well, you know, there are really no roles anymore. You know, I think you have to be well-balanced. Back in the day when writers' staffs were much larger, let's say on a sitcom, let's say on Roseanne, they had a big budget. And so you could have, on that show, they had most of the writers were standard writers, but they had room for a handful, two or three, whatever, uh, stand-up comics who were just funny people. And so they probably could, maybe they couldn't write a script, but they could contribute because they were just so funny. But today, staffs have gotten much smaller and there's really no place to hide now, I feel. So you are expected to know how to be a very well-rounded writer and, and know all aspects of how to break a story, how to write a story, how to write an outline, how to, how to do all that. Yeah, for some advice for everybody just starting out or feels that's very daunting. How to eat an elephant, one bite at a time. One bite at a time. And the yeah. structure, story structure being the most important thing you can learn. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. Then the characters, then the dialogue, you get all that stuff later. And the characters lead to the dialogue. It becomes much easier. It builds upon itself as yes. you get stronger and stronger. So. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a good point, Phil, because learning story structure takes away demystifies some of it and it takes away when you write a story there's so much you have so many freaking choices you can make as you tell your story but by learning story structure you get to eliminate some of those choices mm -hmm. and you go okay i know i have to do i know i need to do these things now knowing that now i'm free this actually frees you up from having to make a billion other choices you know what i'm saying yeah. it, it's it, being limited actually help, helps you yeah absolutely being put in a box is not a bad thing yeah yeah, yeah. All right, uh, moving on to collaboration. We have one question on that from Megan Woodard. How do you become more open to collaboration when you're used to writing independently? Yeah, you have to find someone uh, that you you mesh with, someone who you have the same sensibilities with. And I have a partner of 30 years, so we, you know, I, I know what it's like. It's like a marriage. But um, you, it, it's actually good for you, especially if you plan to, if you want to work in Hollywood, in any, you're going to be collaborating on everything, whether it's a movie you're going to get notes from the director, the studio exec, whatever. That's a collaboration. If you're in TV, you're going to be getting notes from the showrunner and the rest of the writing staff. So get this out of your head that it's your vision, unless you want to shoot it yourself and make your own movies, which is fine. Do that. But everywhere else, if, you want, if someone else is putting up the money, you are going to be collaborating. So you really need to learn how to set your ego aside mm -hmm. and be willing to uh, uh, you know, listen to somebody else. And to be honest, when I work with my partner, if he's got a better idea, great. Let's do hit. I don't really care because, you know, we have to get the work done. 
if he's got the idea, perfect. That means one last idea I got to think of. So, and he feels the same way. Yeah. I think it would behoove everybody listening to read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah. That's a classic. It's been in the lexicon for over a hundred years because mm-hmm. it just tells you like, Hey, here's how not to be a jerk or here not to become off abrasive. And here's how to interact with people in a yeah. way that serves the ultimate thing that matters, which is the goal. And yeah. your goal is their goal. And if it's not, then you're in the wrong place. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Moving on to structure and just a few more questions here, Michael, Paulo Ruvalcaba. What is a beat sheet? Uh, well, yeah. Beat sheet is another word for, it depends. It really depends what your showrunner wants, but it's not quite an outline. It's just a rough outline. So if an outline might be 12 pages, like I'll say it again. So if a script is 27 pages and the outline is 12 pages, a beat sheet might be five, you know? So it's just, it's just the, the layers of detail that your boss wants. If they just want a beat sheet, you'll say, well, how many pages do you want the beat sheet? And then they'll tell you. So we, uh, we have a section in the course where I pitch an idea and then I do an outline and then I write a draft. I do all that and you give me notes and I turned in an outline that was like 22 pages long. <laughs> You're like, bro. And just to remind everybody, I'd been through the course and film school. Yeah. And I still screwed it up. Well, so, it's like you don't need to put that much detail. Like, right. guess, you know. So, so you learn as you go yeah. and I'm just, I'm just calling myself out just so everyone has, can breathe a little to know it's okay that you don't get it right the first time. It's actually expected and it's just practice, practice, practice. I definitely didn't make that mistake again. You know what though? But sometimes when we sell a show or a pilot and they say, hey, turn in an outline or turn in a treatment or whatever, we'll say to them, what do you want it to look like? Send mm-hmm. us an example of the treatment that you liked uh, and then we'll we'll copy that. We'll you know we'll do our version of that so that you give them what they want. It's really a tool. It, it's often a tool that they want. So it's like, well, how do you want it? We'll give you what you want. Do you find they actually give you an example? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they do. Yeah, I've heard other people like, ah, never mind. It's okay. Like they just they don't have one. It's just a yeah. Step sometimes that they you don't. Learn. Sometimes right. it's a word that they have. And then you then you do you give them what you want to give them. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Scott Pikulski, what is the difference between breaking and beats? Which you might have just addressed, but breaking and what? Breaking and beats, like when you're breaking a story versus beats. Yeah, the the beats are the the beats of the story. So when you you want to break the story first, and that will give you the beats of the story. Yep. David Tillery, what would you say that a story bible is a detailed outline? I don't even know. Like a bible. It's it, like, I don't know why people, you don't need to know the answer to this question. A Bible basically will say what the the series is. Often the uh, Bible is written after the series has been written. So, so like we're on season three of some show and you tell the writer's assistant, hey, put together the Bible. That means they'll just write an outline of every single episode, assemble it into the Bible, but it's already been written. I think some people think they have to come up with a Bible beforehand to sell the show. And I'm telling you this, you you listeners don't need to do any of this. No one's going to buy your show, your, ep, your series. They're not buying from you. You need to write one great episode of television, not a hundred. Just write one. It'll be a writing sample, which will help you get work. That's the whole point. of. So you don't stop, stop thinking about you're going to sell your TV show. No one's going to buy your TV show. Yeah. We need to know if you can, we need to know if you can write. Let's focus on just writing one. You know how hard it is to write one good episode of TV? Do that. On my end in Hollywood, I've been given samples by producers of story Bibles, and they're just pitch decks. Like, they don't even know what they are. So the way that writers yeah. think of story Bibles, 
which is what you described versus what they're talking about. They're just different things. And I know of a producer who worked for multiple seasons in reality TV and went to pitch a docudrama. And mm-hmm. those people were interested and then asked for them to make a Bible. But it was a yeah. step in the sales process. They didn't need it before they had interest. Everyone uses it wrong. And you, yeah. don't, even, you, don't, you don't even know the answer to any of this. <laughs> All right, Magic Misha. What about writing a script from a novel? Do you need, an out, do you need to outline that? Writing a script from a novel? Yeah, from and a, I could think you if, could take this two ways. I wrote a novel, and I want to mm-hmm. then adapt my own novel to be a script. Or right. I'm taking a novel I love, and I want to write a spec script of that novel, and I'm assuming they don't own the IP or control have an option. Yeah. Either way, you need to break it, and I would recommend you break it into three acts. Either way, because a three-act structure just feels right. It just when you tell a story, it feels right if it's told in three acts. And so, yeah, if you have a novel, I wouldn't start writing until you know what your act breaks are and what your midpoint of two is and all the beats that I teach you in my course. I would do all of that, whether it's your original novel or whether you are adapting someone else's work. Because not all, by the way, not all books are are really meant for for, for movies. They don't, you know, they're just not. Sometimes they're just too internal. Not enough happens. And so they, they wouldn't make for a good movie. They're not visual enough. Yep. And uh, I think we should also address too that the course is for everything, not just TV, but it applies yeah. to anything story related. So novels, that's a common question. People get playwrights. Mm-hmm. I think you said everything but a dinner menu. Yeah, right. It won't teach you that. But anything where there's a story is being told, we, that's what we teach. We teach you stories. Story Perfect. Structure. All right. Five more questions here. Yeah. Tino Frausto, currently work at one of the major studios in a non-production function. Would you suggest leveraging my current situation to pivot my career as a writer slash showrunner? Well, stop. don't even think about being a showrunner. Just think about being a writer first. And in terms of leveraging, I don't know how you're going to leverage anything. You know, just because you work on the lot and you work next door to TV shows, you might as well be in the other side of the country. So you need to get closer to the job you want. And so just because you work in sales or advertising or whatever that is you are, you might as well be in in another planet. So I don't know how you're going to leverage other than maybe your boss has connections. You know, obviously these people, we all work in the same industry. So people might, you people you work with must know other people that you, that, so you should, Use those contacts to, hey, if you want to be a writer, have a conversation with another writer or a showrunner, or, but get, get a job on the production staff of a TV show, either as a PA or writer, writer's PA, writer's assistant, anything. Get, get close. But in terms of leveraging, if you know something about ad sales and you work on the Fox lot, so what? I, you know, I, we're all TV writers, so I don't, you can't leverage that knowledge. Yeah, I think that's a great clarification for one of the common questions you get, which is, do I need to live in LA to be a writer? And you say, you need to get closer to the job that you want. And in this case, you're saying, even if you're in LA, just working adjacent to the job that you want isn't close enough. Yeah, you might as well be. And a guy, I, I was going to make a post about this on TikTok because the guy sent me a very heartbreaking, I will answer that. He's like, I work in, I think he said he works on the Fox lot. I don't remember in ad sales or something like that and or sports. He worked in sports, but he wanted to be a writer and he's been doing it for like 20 years and he feels like he's so close, but so far. Yeah, you are so close, but you, you might as well be on the other side of the planet because you're not close enough to the job you want. Just because we park in the same parking structure doesn't give you an advantage. Right. 
All right, Denise Jackrell. Does story structure apply to reality TV shows like unscripted shows or docu-series as well? I've never written on a reality show, quote unquote. I've never done that. But they do have act breaks, you know. So uh, I, I do notice that. And they do tend to they do tend to shoehorn a structure in there. But I'm not the best guy to talk about that since I've never worked on a reality show. Right, which is why a lot of people when you interview them after say, that's not how that happened. That's shot out of order. Like that's taken mm -hmm. out of context because they're building drama and climax and yeah. all these things. Yeah. All right. Just uh, three general questions. Dominic Papas, how do I write satire about a real person without being offensive? Well, first change their name. That's, that's the best thing, you know, change your name and all the details so that whoever reads it won't sue you or be offended. But more to the, I think more to the point, <clears throat> you know, so I, I plug my, my, my book all the time. I call it, uh, it's called The Paper Orchestra, although I might be changing the title. But anyway, it's a collection of personal essays. And all the stories are happened to me. I can write about them because they're my stories. I couldn't write a story about you know, someone else in my life because it didn't happen to me. It happened to them. It's not my story to tell. So... Uh, I, that's what I would do. I, I would lampoon yourself before I lampoon somebody else. And, and in my stories, I'm always the hardest on me. I, I'm harder on me than I am on any of the other real characters in my life. Yeah. Retro Night 8. After writing a short screenplay, is it a good idea to have a table read with some friends to get feedback? For sure. For sure. The only thing is, um, you know, you're going to have people reading, acting it out, and you want to make sure they're decent actors, but it, it help, it'll help all around. And if you have your table read and let's say you have um, three people in your script, it, it helps to have a couple people in your audience who are not reading it. You'll know that you can sense when the, the air gets sucked out of the room, when people start yawning, when people are start looking around because they, they're bored. It could be, a, it's an incredibly helpful tool. So if you can arrange it, do it. Yeah, and, and that might apply to feature or television plays as well, not yeah. necessarily short screenplays. Anything, yeah. Jane Fleming, are there any follow-up questions if your reader said only, I liked the part, can you pull anything else out of them or do you just walk away with, I got to rewrite this? <laughs> you got to what? You got to rewrite it. That's it, you know. I, I like this part. That's all right. That's the polite, I didn't like this. Yeah, I didn't like all, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what you do with that other than, uh, you know, start all over. Cool. That's it. Those are the questions from our April Q&A. A lot of the questions had already been previously answered on other podcast episodes. So go back and reference those if you didn't don't feel your question was answered. Michael, is there anything else you want to go over with your listeners before we wrap it up? That's it. Thank you for listening. We got a lot of free resources on my website at michaeljammon.com. So obviously, you know about the podcast, but we, I got a free screenwriting lesson. I got a free uh, webinar we do once a month, uh, free downloads for sample scripts, all of it. You just go to michaeljammon.com and, and, and get it. We got a free newsletter that goes out once a week. You'll find it all at michaeljammon.com. Yeah, there's literally a tab that says free stuff. It's a good place to hang out. Um, and the free lesson is a huge underside. And also make sure you sign up for the webinar. This is a great place to get your questions answered live uh, yeah. and provide a lot of value. But you'll also be able to interact with a bunch of other writers who are giving up time on their Saturday morning to learn from a showrunner, which to me, looking from the outside in, I think that's the strongest signal you can send to those around you and yourself that you are a pro and want to be treated like a pro. Mm -hmm, right. Beyond that, you have to sit down and write. 
you got to yeah. do the work. It, Phil, you, you raise a good point. We also just we give some other free stuff away during our webinars, which is an yep. incentive to listen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, everybody walks away with something, even yeah. if you don't win one of the big things. Yeah. So great, Michael. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it as always. The thank feedback, you. the insights, all very generous, and, and I think we're all grateful for them. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for always helping me out with My everything. My pleasure, man. I appreciate your uh, your friendship and, and mentorship. Yeah. For everybody else who's listening, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. And if you don't mind, just do us a favor. Go to iTunes and leave us a review. All right, everyone. Keep writing. Stay tuned uh, for more episodes. Thanks so uh, much. Hasta la vista. Hasta la vista. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin and Phil Hudson. If you're interested in learning more about writing, make sure you register for Michael's monthly webinar at michaeljammin.com webinar. If you found this podcast helpful, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. For free screenwriting tips, follow Michael Jammin on social media at Michael Jammin Writer. You can follow Phil Hudson on social media at Phil A. Hudson. This podcast was produced by Phil Hudson. It was edited by Dallas Crane. Music by Ken Joseph. Until next time. Keep writing.